Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I am speaking today with Francisco Weber, the co-founder of Austrian AI company Cortical.io, which develops intelligent document processing solutions unstructured text supported by natural language processing. Hi, Francisco. How are you? Hello. Thanks. I'm fine. Hope you're fine too. I'm great. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So tell us about your background and the genesis of Cortical.io. I basically have been working for about 20 years now in the domain of natural language understanding, um, sort of as the core technology. and not only exploring the technology aspects to it, but also tried to find out uh, how could this actually be brought to market. Yeah, because, and I think this is something that relates more and more to technology. It's not just about developing something or, as it uh, now famously is said, disrupting something with technology, but you have also to make sure you know how to bring it to the users of that technology. And in more recent times, even extending the question to bring it safely sort of to the market, uh, these kind of concerns need to be handled. And I basically started that kind of work in the medical field in the very early days uh, when the computers were really small and really slow. And we tried to identify information that was uh, written in the medical reports and things like that and uh, deciphering uh, the typically awful handwriting of doctors and stuff like that. Then in the early 2000s, I basically specialized a little bit uh, into patent information because I was participating in a project with the European Patent Office and sort of discovered the case and the use case of patent searching, how it was called at the time. And it was just shocking to me to see people in front of green screens uh, like 20 years earlier, um, hacking in uh, super complicated queries to basically get uh, to sort of a relevant result. And there, the interesting aspect was that patent documents are, can say, sort of the Olympic discipline of document searching, because Basically, any topic uh, could be a topic in, in a professional context. I mean, description of a logo to the sequence of a gene or a molecule or whatever. And you have to wrap it uh, into some legal language. You have to uh, sort of add some uh, Baroque technical uh, speech around it. And that makes it basically hard to search for. And, and, uh, and a lot of things depend on it. I mean, if you don't do your prior art search properly, you might end up losing large amounts of money. So it's also a big business interest behind it. And so in that context, I basically explored rather the problems than the solutions that come from there. And at a later stage, I sort of changed a little bit in trying to find a solution. And that was basically 2011 when I had the opportunity to do some research uh, work in some kind of a, a pause between businesses that I did. And I came up actually with um, with a strategy that at this point was still theoretical 
to actually apply recent learnings we have from neuroscience. And by just saying very naively, I would say, okay, if the brain is obviously working like that, that should also be applicable to language. And I basically tried to get some small research grant here in Austria to actually find out if the theory holds in practice. And I got the grant and I found out that it not only works, but it uh, even works better than I had expected myself. And with that starting point of basically being able to represent language information in a highly efficient way, I basically started exploring the field also commercially. And interestingly, it was it, it were the US banks, the large US banks, uh, that was like 2014, 15, who were the first ones to systematically exploring the field. And so it occurred to me that we basically were invited to work on some use cases there. Funny enough, those were use cases where the previous try with IBM Watson was basically a failure. And that sort of made them ready to explore more exotic kind of solutions like, like ours. Um, and yeah, we were able to show that we could, uh, in a couple of weeks, already come up with some results that uh, were meaningful to the to the business users. And yeah, so things developed from there. And what happened, basically, I would say independently from our strategy, was that this huge AI wave came from the back while we were trying to go uphill. So this actually puts us in a funny position currently because... When we started, we tried hard to avoid words like artificial intelligence. We kept speaking about machine learning mostly. And suddenly uh, we have uh, customers who are asking us about our artificial intelligence. Yeah? And I still try to continue talking about machine learning. I mean, how does cortical.io work? Well, it fundamentally works in a way that. We can train what today this might be common knowledge based on a language model that we have developed. And that language model is or can and should be trained on highly specific information. So that's one first difference to the uh, standard approach where you try to grab everything you could possibly find in terms of text and stuff it into your model. What we do is we rather try to be very selective to have quite high quality references contained. And as long as we keep working in uh, professional environments, we find professional literature uh, that we can use for that purpose. And one of the advantages of our approach is that you just need or orders of magnitude less training data for the language model. So that's one aspect. And once you have generated that language model, this is a completely automated process. You don't need to do any other thing than selecting material that you want to be part of that model. What you are able to do then is to basically represent any word that occurs in that reference literature can be represented as what we call a semantic fingerprint. You can think of this like a little bitmap uh, of uh, black and white dots so many more white dots than black dots. And basically the pattern of those dots, how they are distributed in this little square, 
is characteristic for what the text actually means. So, and that is uh, the second part to the whole equation where what this allows you to do is to highly efficiently compare two pieces of text. You can superimpose those two bitmaps. You can look where are they actually overlapping. And the overlap indicates, first of all, the size of the overlap tells you how close they are to each other. And where uh, in the fingerprint they overlap uh, tells you the topic in which, or the context in which they, they are similar. And although this sounds very simplistic, fundamentally, the brain does more or less the same with any sense that we perceive. And thinking is basically just matching crisscross all of these uh, fingerprints that come in. I mean, for a human, of course, there are bigger and more fingerprints coming in. But fundamentally, when we think, we compare stuff. We compare what we see with stuff that we have seen. And by that, we know what it's about and how to behave and things like that. And to know if two pieces of text, although they don't share actual words, uh, might mean something similar. Let's say in a contract, um, the termination clause of the contract probably has a lot of ways to be written. But a human has no issue in understanding that this is obviously a termination clause. And so that's what the computer should also be able to do independently on how the choice of words actually has been. So that's the technology side, sort of. And historically, it turned out that the domain of, for example, contract analytics was a very early starter in this. You, know, you have large banks, they have hundreds of thousands of contracts, they have to comply with some regulator requirements. So they have to go through their portfolio and make sure that there is no sort of dark spot um, in, in their contract repository. Um, and so they were looking for automating this. And that basically triggered on our end, gradually the development of a solution to that problem to take large numbers of more or less stereotype documents. So like all of them are contracts or all of them are some other type of business document. And then the other aspect uh, to what we wanted to do, because in the early days, everybody was talking about precision. Yeah. So how precise is your AI in doing this or that? And what we found out practically while doing must have done some 150 or so customer projects uh, over the last years on kind of different use cases. What I found out is that in nearly no case, the precision is actually what you, what you have the problem with in making the project uh, successful. And it's typically much more the feasibility. Yeah? So the situation where you start trying to do something and then after some first experiments, you realize, okay, I would need, I don't know, 300,000 annotations of this then yes, if you would have the 300,000 annotations, you would get to a good model. But uh, yeah, how do you get there in the first place? Where are your users applying this kind of contract intelligence? For banks, for example, as I said, you have, for example, credit agreements that are under permanent supervision. So you have these processes where whenever there is a a new regulator requirement, uh, they send bundles of those documents somewhere to have mass legal inspection where they pay 
couple of $10 per document. But if you have a couple of hundred thousand and you need to do this quite frequently, that's a, a substantial amount of money. We have also worked, for example, in legal aspects when it comes to finding out if a certain policy, for example, that you have established conforms with, again, some regulator requirement or some legal requirement uh, that you have. So, and also the situation that you have sometimes to do this across languages. So you have daughter company, let's say, uh, in a German-speaking country, and you have to match your policies uh, with, with, some, with some German legal text and stuff like that. And most recently, uh, what turned out to be the next earliest adopter in, in, in this field is the insurance industry. So fundamentally, I would say any business where the product is text, yeah, and, and that's what in fact a bank is and what the, an insurance, they don't sell you a package of anything, they give you a bunch of text. So in those cases, understanding the text Understanding when uh, your customer sends you a document by email, figuring out what that document is about, where it needs to go, and stuff like that. A lot of this is still done manually. And the biggest problem is not even the cost by doing it manually, but the fact that it's very hard to quality manage uh, a process that heavily depends on individuals. And these are the typical areas. But on the other hand, as we can tune our system to kind of any topic, uh, we can also work on healthcare use cases um, if we generate accordingly um, language spaces for that or any other domain. Basically, I think most important thing is efficiency. That's what people should use when they evaluate AI in general is how efficient is it. Because that will tell them if they will ever get the model they dream of. What are the most important misconceptions about the use of AI? Every AI behaves like ChatGPT, I would say nowadays. Basically, that it feels smart. But on the other hand, very often you don't want it to be that smart. You want to be precise, sharp, and under control of what happens. So. I, I think the biggest misconception is that if some functionality feels intelligent, that it actually is intelligent, which is mostly not. <laughs> so, Given how rapidly this sector is changing, how do you see it evolving? Currently, we are still in, I would say, an early research phase. I mean, I do agree, it all feels like uh, Star Trek to some degree, but if you look at the pictures of the cars a uh, hundred years ago, that's that would be my allegory here, the kind of technology we're dealing today. Because what we today describe as AI to me is nothing more than a mathematical proof that these use cases can be captured in a machine learning model. To me personally, if you want, that's the biggest success that we actually see that by making these huge models and make them so good that even a well-educated and prepared human couldn't tell you anymore, is that actually a person 
typing that in or is that the chatbot per se it's completely non-efficient yeah so i don't think that chat gpt will have sort of a success as an ai i personally think it will have big success as a user interface i think that's where a huge sort of effect can be noted you can pack your data into it to have it formulate intelligently so to trick your user basically but as we have found out you cannot trust it from the content you know so you have to make sure that you stay under control of what it says but you want it to say it once you once you have shown chat gpt what it should actually bring up as a content then leave it um uh, find a, a proper um formulation that's where it's good in but i think that having the proof that this will work having the proof that we can build a machine that flies that should basically make the whole industry and yeah basically everybody reassure everybody basically to continue going in a, into a certain direction which i think makes sense and that's what we have achieved we have discovered quantum effects we still don't manage them but we know for sure they're there yeah so let's continue and dig deeper we can be sure that there is something at the end that we will find this is Ari Kaplan speaking with Francisco Weber the co-founder of Austrian AI company cortical.io which develops intelligent document processing solutions for unstructured text supported by natural language processing Francisco thank you so much Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit reinventingprofessionals.com or ari kaplan advisors.com to learn more.